Good morning, First. I'm Kevin Teal, and we're going to be continuing our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. And so I'm uber excited to share with you uh, what we're going to call the manifold witness of Christ. And I believe John the Baptist has a lot of powerful lessons to teach us. Uh, He's one of my favorite Bible characters. And so we're going to dive in. But just by way of introduction, John the Baptist, when we read uh, chapter 1, verses 19 through 34, John the Baptist had a uh, very interesting ministry, and he was drawing attention. And so we step into his life today with a visit from the priest and the Levites. And they have some questions for John. Uh, Because John has been in the wilderness baptizing, and crowds of people are coming to him. And people are starting to wonder, is this guy on God's side? Is this guy on his own side? Is he just doing his own thing? So John is raising some questions, and so he generates uh, a visitation today from the priest and Levite. So we're going to eavesdrop in on that conversation today. And I believe what it tells us is that believers can demonstrate what I call the manifold witness for Christ and to others as they move through life. And so as we're going to open up with prayer, but we're going to dive into that subject today, and hopefully God's going to challenge you in an area to step up and be a bigger witness. So Father, we just thank you for this time with your congregation today. We thank you, God, for life, for health, for strength, and we thank you most for Jesus Christ. And so we pray, God, that we would step into the challenge uh, to be like John the Baptist and to lift your name on high. So we pray that we would decrease while you would increase in every area of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we continue our journey, I think the question is, well, how can I do that? You're talking big at the gate, bro. How can I be a manifold witness for Christ? That sounds like a heavy lift. That sounds like a big assignment. Well, the good news with the gospel is that God has empowered us to do this. So we're not doing this in our own strength. So there are really three ways that we're going to talk about today that you and I can be what I call a very complete, robust witness for Jesus Christ. The first way we're going to walk through is living in a way that draws attention to Christ. So that people see Jesus' influence in your life. That's what was true for John in verses 19 through 23 here. The second way is encouraging people to accept the freedom that Jesus offers from sin's penalty, which is death. And once we know that, once we're convinced of that, I believe it puts a little burden on us to do something about that, say something about that, right? And the last way we're going to look at it is having a personal encounter with Jesus. Make no mistake, you and I can't do anything without Jesus, We're not empowered to share the gospel. We're not empowered to love our neighbor. We're not empowered to give sacrificially and live sacrificially without Jesus. I know I can't do it. It's not in my nature, right? So to help us kind of frame this, I want you to imagine that we're entering a play. We got any theater people in the house? We got any thespians, any actors? Where are my dramatic people at? People are poking you. Hold your hand up if you're dramatic. You kind of a, if if you're not holding your hand up, you're probably that person, right? We got a few dramatic people, right? So imagine we're entering a play, right, and we got scene one, scene two, and scene three. The question in scene one we want to answer is, who are you? The question we want to answer in scene two is, who do you work for? And the question we want to answer in scene three is, who is your power source? So as we dive in, I'm a big fan of the Bible, so we're going to jump in in scene one with verses 19 through 23 of chapter one. And so when you have your Bible, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, or actually the English Standard Version, and it reads, and this is the testimony of John in verse 19, chapter 1. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? 
He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John, it gets interrogated, let's say it that way. John gets interrogated. And the gospel writer John, we don't want to get it confused, there's a gospel writer John, and then there's John the Baptist, right? So there's a lot of Johns in this. But John the Baptist is who we're speaking of, and his ministry was what we call a mobile baptism ministry. And he had been tasked for this since birth. So God had said to John's parents, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He's going to be different. He's going to have the Holy Spirit from birth. So that's John the Baptist. So around AD 26, we think John started this ministry, and he's baptizing people. And water was kind of common in Israel. People would get baths. You know, they, they, they were into that. So water was not foreign to them, but the way John was doing it, he was personally baptizing people. He was transferring authority to be re, uh, reconciled to God with people as best they could at that time. So this was different, and this is what drew the attention, right? And so if you look in Luke chapter 1, you can see John's story recounted there, but it said John's going to be out in the wilderness for a season. So John was in the wilderness for a season before he comes back and launches his public ministry. And so now we see the crowds coming, and then we see the interrogators coming. And, and so by way of illustration, right, people are wondering who you are. There was a guy named Alfred Noble who invented dynamite. And Alfred was a famous guy, and he got to be famous for the wrong reasons because the military took dynamite and started blowing people up with it and killing people. So Alfred didn't have that intention for dynamite when he made it, but people started doing things with the dynamite he didn't intend, and then it became associated with him. So much so that in 1888, his brother Ludwig died, but they thought it was Alfred. So they wrote the obituaries as if Alfred Noble had died, and they called him the merchant of death. And this made him very uncomfortable. So he decided he wanted to change his legacy. So he started something called the Nobel Prizes with half of his fortune. And now people get Nobel Prizes for literature, for peace, for all these kind of things. So sometimes you need to change your name. You need to change your identity. Sometimes you want to be a different person, right? But John knew who he was. And I think the question for each of us, right, is do we know who we are? Do we know who we're called to be? And John was very specific. John said, I am not Christ. I am not Moses. I'm not Elijah. But I am one who is here to lead you to a understanding about Jesus. I am one who's here to lead you to an understanding about your relationship with God, right? So that was John's assignment, right? And John was very popular, and I don't know about you, but sometimes you get popular, that can be a little dangerous for you. That can put a little wind in your sails, and you can get a little prideful. But John was not that. They gave John an invitation here to exalt himself, and he declined the nomination. And so when we're going through life as Christians, and we're doing good things, and we're loving on people, we want to be careful to make sure we know where that glory needs to go because that glory is not designed for us. That glory is designed for God. We get the chocolate chip cookies and God gets the glory, right? So we want to make sure that we don't get out of order. So John gives us a good example of how not to get out of order. And I think the question we have to ask in this first section is, who gets the glory out of your life? Do you get the glory out of your life or does God get the glory out of your life? Because if you are like John, you're a voice crying in the wilderness that we live in called the world, 
and your job is to help people understand the way of the Lord. That means that there's a way to move through life consistent with God's plans for you. That's the way of the Lord that John is trying to prepare people for. Do those you encounter on a daily basis know you to be someone who's on divine assignment? Do people notice something different about the way you roll in your marriage and the way you parent and the way you show up at the ball games? And they say, you know, there's something different about you. And instead of saying, well, I'm just crazy like that or that's how I was raised, maybe you could say, you know what, well, God's keeping me from killing people at the playground today. <laughs> Jesus kept me from stabbing y'all today. So <laughs> glory to God, amen. Everybody's going to live to get home, even though my kid lost the game, right? So you can carry that spirit of divine assignment with you, right? Because it's bad when you see a Christian at News at 11 doing something stupid, right? We are on divine assignment. So God should be echoing through our lives in everything we do. That was true of John, right? We want that to be true of us. So if, if someone were to sift through your life and my life, would there be enough evidence to persuade them that we are Christian? Would there be enough in our conversation? Would there be enough in the way we're watching TV? Would there be enough in the way we're treating people to convict us of being a Christian, a God follower? John the Baptist gives us a great model of how to do that. Let's go to scene two. Scene two's question is, who do you work for? So we pick it up in verse 24 of chapter 1. 24 through 29, it says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay? John is telling them, this is who I work for. I work for the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John is telling them that I'm baptizing you all with water. That's an external cleansing. But what he's getting ready to do is off the charts. He's getting ready to do something that's going to be transformative in your life and transcendent. That's basically what John is telling them. And so John does something that I think we all need to do as believers, right? When somebody comes to us and they're extolling us or they're encouraging us and saying, man, the way you're doing that, a sister, the way you're doing that, I really like that. I really appreciate that. We need to tell them to consider that it's the Lamb of God who is keeping me and helping me love you the right way, treat you the right way, do the right thing for the right reasons. That's what John is saying. And a popular saying at that time, John had uh, students or um, acolytes who were following him. So John was considered a rabbi by some, right? And in the Jewish culture, a student would follow the rabbi and learn what they did and become the rabbi. That was their culture. You were considered a good student if you looked exactly like your teacher or your rabbi. Now, there were some things that the students, quote, would not do for their you know, teachers in the audience can appreciate that. There's some things students, quote, won't do for their teacher, right? One of them in this culture was to, to untie somebody's sandal or to carry somebody's sandal was a sign of you being the most menial servant in the world. So the students would say at that time, well, I'll do everything up to untying my rabbi's shoes. But what John is telling the, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees is, I will do anything for Jesus. I'm sold out. 
If Jesus want me to carry his sandals, I got them. If Jesus want me to wash his feet, I'm, I'm on it. That level of servanthood shocks us in the West because we strive to get above doing the menial stuff. We strive to get in the limelight. We strive to get into the big boy seat, right? But John is saying, I'm coming into a culture in, in the kingdom of God where I will do whatever Christ asked me to do, no matter how menial, no matter how non-glamorous, no matter how humbling, I'm willing to do that. That's what John was saying. And so when we look at John, again, we're not exactly sure when John and Jesus had met in this part of their lives. Now, they had met even before Jesus was born because when Mary goes to visit John's mother, Elizabeth, John leaps in the womb upon hearing Mary's voice. So John had met Jesus then, but we're not sure whether John and Jesus stayed connected because I think John went to the wilderness. His parents were older and they died. I think John was a little bit disconnected from Jesus. But yet at this point, he recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God. And so John had an awareness, and we're going to talk at the very end of how he got that awareness. But you've got to have an awareness. I've got to have an awareness of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He came to take away the sin problem of humanity, which is what's blocking us from God. And so by way of illustration, right, there are what we call herald or messenger stories, right? We have any movie fans, uh, any Lord of the Rings fans? There's a guy in the Lord of the Rings named Gandalf. Gandalf serves as a messenger to a guy named Frodo. And Frodo's minding his own business in Hobbitville when Gandalf shows up and says, I got a great assignment for you. We need to have you go destroy the ring, right? And Frodo's like, cool, I'm, I'm up for whatever, right? He doesn't, he doesn't even know what he's talking about, right? But this is, this is the adventure of a lifetime for him. Now, for those who aren't Lord of the Ring fans, most of the parents are familiar with um, uh, the Lion King, right? One of my favorite characters in the Lion King is a guy named Rafiki. <laughs> Rafiki likes to get your attention by hitting you on the head with objects, right? So, so Rafiki's a good guy. So Rafiki has to get Simba's attention. So Rafika has to call Simba back to being the Lion King, right? So John is a messenger or a herald, and he's declaring to this community that you can do better. There's something different for you. There's something greater for you. So he's a herald. He's a messenger of Jesus. And like a good messenger, he's pointing people to their destinies, pointing people to the challenges, the adventures of life, right? And so John the Baptist's posture is one that we all need to get. He was a servant who had a great ministry, who had a great impact in people's lives, but he knew who he worked for, and that was Jesus. And so John is very powerful because he illustrates how Jesus looks not on the outside, not on what our big ministry looks like, but what our heart looks like. John's heart check at this moment was accurate. He was straight with God. He knew who he was, right? And so Our job as disciples of Jesus is to point people to Jesus, help them see him, right? And so John does that. And we believe if we put the Bible timelines together, that Jesus is just coming away from his 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. So he has been verified and tested, and he's ready to walk in his calling. And John is the first one who calls him out when he appears publicly. And so for us, how does this fit for us? Do you understand how your life fits into the grand scheme of what God is doing? Do you understand the divine assignment that God has given you in your school, in your neighborhood, 
at your workplace? Because you have one. I have one. Every disciple of Jesus has a divine assignment. The question is, are we going to point to him and live it out in a way that honors him? And for most of us, for me, I'm just going to be honest, I fight with that pride monster. I fight with that pride monster. I'm like, Jesus, I would, but you know, I might look awkward talking to them people. They might not receive the message right, right? But Jesus doesn't ask me to be excited about everything. He doesn't ask me to always be sure it's always going to work out. He asks me to be faithful and obedient. And he asked me to be willing to do the hard thing sometimes, right? And I've got to kill my pride to do that. And maybe you don't struggle with that, but I struggle with that, right? And so the question is, who have we told about God's great plan? We are sitting on, as Christians, the, the, the cure for every problem that humanity has. If you were sitting on the cure for cancer and your neighbor's kid had cancer, would you tell them about it or would you just sit on it? I think you'd tell them about it, right? We're sitting on something that's bigger than the cure for cancer. The cure from humanity's disconnection from God. And we have a divine assignment, right? We get to share that. Let's go to the last scene. The last scene in John chapter 1 is verses 30 through 34. And the question from this scene is, who is your power source? Now, I've just told you a crazy story about a guy named John the Baptist who gets interrogated and denies that he's the Messiah, even though crowds are coming to him and he could easily be somebody big in Palestine. And then he identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. How do you get to that level? How do you get to that place, right, where you have success, but, but you're not going to let that be what your significance is? By having a personal encounter with Jesus. That's how John got there. Let's go to verse 30, chapter 1, where it says, This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, so your mind just went poof, right? Because John just went real deep right there. John said, there was a season in my life where I did not know who Jesus was. Now, for those who were born in church, you never had that season. For those of us who weren't born in church, there was a season where we did not know who Jesus was. For most of us, that was not a great time. We were not at our best. We were not giving God great glory, right? But John says, God had given me an assignment, and I was operating in that assignment, but I was operating in an assignment still waiting for more knowledge. So John is baptizing people for repentance, preparing the way for the Messiah, who at this point he does not know. There are a lot of people around us who live in life, live in good lives, who don't know who Jesus is. Now, John was going to get his problem fixed because God told him, the one you see the Holy Spirit descend on and remain, that's the one. So when John baptized Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and landed on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So Don, John got some confirmation of who Jesus was, and it changed his life. Now, you and I are not going to baptize Jesus and have a dove come and land on him and show us who Jesus is. We're in a different age. We're in a different era, right? For us, 
you're going to sit in an audience like this, or you're going to sit across the table from your friend, and you're going to hear the gospel. And your friend is going to tell you, Jesus died for your sins. All the ones you know about and all the ones you've forgotten about. He died for all of them. The future ones. He died for those too. And he did that not because you're a great person, but because he's a great God. And he loves you enough to try to rescue you from hell and damnation and separation from him for eternity. And you're going to hear that message and the Holy Spirit is going to prick your heart and say, that's you. Where do you want to spend eternity? Who do you want to be for the rest of your life? You can't change the beginning, but you can start today and write a new ending by signing up with Jesus Christ. He loves you. God's got a great plan for you, but sin disconnects you from that. Rebellion, independence, my way or the highway, all that stuff separates you from God. But Jesus came to remedy that problem. That's what John is telling us. So John shared that ignorance is okay, but don't stay stuck on stupid. Just because you don't know, don't mean you can't know. And when you know, make a better choice. Do a different thing, right? In our digital world, identity, you know, identity theft and cybercrime is a big deal. So when people are, when the bankers are trying to figure out whether it's you trying to de- access your account online and stuff, they, they have layers of protection that they've implemented, right? And my cybersecurity people can uh, not faint when I make it so simple, right? But they, but they look at things like your your databases that you're on in other places, which confirm your date of birth, and they'll confirm your address and confirm all these other independent verifiers. And when all those facts get together, they point to an identity. Jesus is the Son of God. When we put all the biblical facts together about him, it points to him being the Messiah. So God is going to allow you to grow in your understanding, and the information you assemble is going to point to the Son of God. And it's going to point to your need and my need for the Savior. Once we get that information, it's what we call actionable. We need to do something with it. Amen? So John the Baptist heard this expectation growing up, and then it was confirmed in his life. And John's ignorance was overcome through this, right? So how do we apply that for us today? We live in 2024. We're in Champaign-Urbana. We got internet. We got all this this Instagram. We got all this crazy stuff. God still wants you to understand some basic facts. And he's recorded those basic facts in the the Bible. And so when we read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit lifts the Word of God up, then we can come to a place of understanding who God is. And I think we've got got to be very careful as Christians because God is not afraid of your intelligence. God is not afraid of you asking questions. God is not afraid of your doubts. John would later have doubts about who Jesus was. So God's, you're not going to fall out of God's grace because you ask a question, right? So we, God wants us to come with questions because he's got answers, right? But we want to be engaged in the fact-finding, the data-building, so we can make a good decision about Jesus, right? Because the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, they left this repository of information under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what Jesus brings to the equation, right? And that's very, very important, and that's a little controversial depending on what your denominational back, background is. But let me land the plane for you here at First Christian, what we believe about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. According to what the Word says, it's not optional. <laughs> that's what Jesus does. And with the baptizing of the Holy Spirit, what Jesus does is he brings you into the family of God. He gives you and I new life. 
So Jesus said, without the Spirit, you're you're not part of his kingdom, right? Now, the Spirit does a number of things in our lives. It allows us to be born again. It allows us to die to the old person and live the new life. And then God is so gracious, he gives us the ability to bear spiritual fruit in Galatians 5 and 22. Fruit like love and joy and patience and self-control and goodness and brotherly kindness. Things that I was not before God came in my life through the Spirit and allowed me to bear those things out. Now, the Spirit's also going to give you some gifts. Maybe preaching gift, teaching gift, other gifts, right? And that's where the controversy starts, right? But we believe the Holy Spirit decides what gifts everybody gets. And if you read on the gifts, they all are done orderly, right? And so what we're encouraging you to do is, one, realize that you need Jesus. And with Jesus, it's a package deal. You get the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And then you get to live a new life, born again and empowered. And then you get to serve the body of Christ and serve in your community, right? And so that's what God is calling us to. So the good news is all believers can demonstrate the manifold witness. And the manifold witness means it might look different in you, Brock. It might look different in you, bruh. But it's all the witness of God, right? So it's going to show up in your marriage. It's going to show up in your home. It's going to show up in your community. But it's going to be to the glory of God. And that's what happens, right? So for the basketball fans, I didn't know this. I started doing some research. LeBron's got a shoe of the 20 that he's designed. One of, two of them are called Witness. Anybody else know that? But there's a very interesting ad that Nike put out, the prophets of Nike put out. I don't know if we've got that ad up. But the ad says something very powerful. I don't know if y'all, it didn't make it there, but we are all witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses of LeBron. I mean, he's great. He's got some great accolades, right? He's King James and all that kind of stuff for the basketball fans, right? But are we all witnesses of Jesus? It got me to thinking. Are we all witnesses of Jesus? The king of kings is who we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. The Lord of lords. He's done more through eternity than LeBron will do in the next 10 years, right? But if, if, if I'm honest, sometimes I talk more about LeBron than I do Jesus. Sometimes I talk about my favorite whatever, fill in the blank, than Jesus. What am I witnessing to? Who am I witnessing to? What am I witnessing about, right? So... We're called to live in a way that reflects Jesus' influence. We're called to encourage people to accept the freedom from sin's penalty. And we're called to have a personal encounter with Jesus, which is the foundation for it all. So if, if you're grappling with this sermon today and you're, you're wondering, well, how do I demonstrate the manifold witness of Jesus? How do I begin to live that out, right? This sounds complicated. Well, believers can demonstrate this And I believe the action points for us are, I'm going to boil it down to three. First of all, we've got to be informed. When you play on a sports team and they're running certain plays, you got to know what the play is or you don't play. The Dallas Cowboys or the Green Bay Packers or your favorite football team, they don't just show up on Sunday. They've been practicing all week. They've been reading the playbook, right? Christians need to read the playbook. It's the Bible. So you need to decide today to read God's word and apply it to your lifestyle in a way that honors God's plan and purposes for your life. Then you can be ready to share who God is and what he does. For those who are new to reading the Bible, like I was back in, what, 1987, when a friend of mine told me I need to start reading the Bible, and I said, what? 
Bagats, I can't, man, bagats, man, I can't do all the bagats, right? And he said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you take the jar challenge? The jar challenge is the Gospel of John, which we're working on now, the book of Acts, and the book of Romans. He said, take a chapter a day, start reading a chapter a day. When you're done, you'll know who Jesus is, you'll know who the Holy Spirit is, and you'll know who you are in Christ. Then he said, you can go on and read the rest of the Bible, or you can jump back and start the Old Testament. And guess what? You'll understand it better because Jesus is the key that turns the Bible. Once you understand Jesus, everything else falls into place. So take the jar challenge if you haven't done that. The second thing you need to do, some people get very in- intimidated with evangelism and sharing God. They're like, bruh, I'll take a bullet to the head before I start talking about Jesus at work, man. I can't do that. Let me give you something that's going to help you do that easier. There's a book called Share Jesus Without Fear. It's written by a guy, William Fay, who was a, a hardcore atheist before he came to Christ, went to seminary, and then started teaching how to share Jesus Christ. And he's written a book called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. Great book. Gives you a very non-confrontational way of just having a conversation with somebody across the table. And he gave me a stat that really blew my mind. How many people do you think come to Christ? What percentage come to Christ if we have the biggest evangelism meeting we can have, we give Eric all the Red Bull we can give him, and he preaches straight for three weeks? How many people do you think would come to Christ? He said on average... 8 to 10% would come from a crowd like that. He says, how many people come to Christ when you or I sit across the table and talk to them one-to-one? 80%. 8%, 80%. He said, I'm not a mathematician, but 80% beats 8% all day. But you and I have to be willing to sit across the table and share with people. We got to get educated and informed how to do it. Sharing Jesus without fear will help you do that. And lastly... If you have not received God's gift of forgiveness of sin and reconciliation through Jesus, please don't leave here today without doing that. I'll be in the lobby. You can talk to me. You can talk to some of our staff. You can talk to a leader. You can talk to somebody, and and, and they'll send you our way, right? But the most important decision you and I will ever make, period, bar none, exclamation point, what are you going to do with Jesus? I recommend Jesus highly. I recommend you yield to him. I recommend you give your life to him. I recommend you say yes to him so you can begin to be a manifold witness for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to share with your people your word. And Father, we're all challenged. We're all intimidated. We're all scared. But we know that you've gone before us. And like John the Baptist, we want to be a faithful witness. We want to point to you. We want to lift you up. We want to be consistent, God. And so we know that this life that we're living, it's yours. It's not ours. It's yours. So help us to live it in a way that honors you and glorifies you. And so, God, we just thank you. Give us the courage. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. And help us to step into the life you've called us to as a manifold witness for Jesus. As we get ready to transition into our communion time, for those who've accepted Jesus Christ, this is a time to just memorialize that event by partaking of the the cup with the the bread and the, the juice. And when I stop and think about what Jesus did for me, it's overwhelming. I mean, it's it's just it's just it's crazy. 
that the God of the universe would come down from heaven, take off his robe in glory, take on humanity, and die for me? It's incomprehensible. I can't understand a love like that. But that's what Jesus did for us. So when we stop on these Sundays and, 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 and partake of the bread and partake of the juice, I pray that never gets old to you, if you're a believer. I pray it never gets old to you that this really happened. Jesus stepped out of eternity into time to redeem us because he loves us. So when we stop and we pause, let that just hit you a little bit. Let that just saturate you a little bit. That God loved you that much. And he's challenging you to love other people that much. To take a risk and love somebody in a way that's radical, that's transformative. It's not earned. It's just given. It's just offered. It's just surrendered. So think about that today as you take the cup. God bless you.